Hello, people of Oz. You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com, and this is the Bookworm presented to you by Starburst Magazine. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with your co host, Siloid. So, on today's show, we'll be having the usual book news and chat, and we have a little bit of a sci fi theme. Um, I'll be reviewing the Star Trek novella Shadow of the Machine, and I will be reviewing the first three Space Captain Smith books, of which there are five, but I've only read three. But coming up next, we'll be talking about books in our book news section. Those hands are playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched by hands. You ask for it. So, in the exciting world of boot news, award season has started. So, awards are happening left, right and centre. So, who's winning what? Well, children's publisher Nosy Crow have won the Blue Peter Best Story Award for The Spy Who Loved School Dinners, written by by Pamela Butchart and illustrated by Thomas Flintham. Uh, the prize was presented at the, the Blue Peter Book Awards. The awards were voted for by school children, so they really matter. And it's all sorted out by the Book Trust. Bloomsbury's The Silly Book of Side Splitting Stuff won uh, Best Book with Facts In. And that's written by Andy Seed and illustrated by Scott Goward. Smashing stuff, talking of children's illustrators. Sarah McIntyre has won The Black Tentacle at the Kitchies. We are big fans of the Kitchies at this show. Okay. Um, hello to the people on Porno Kitch who are a book blog who are absolutely fantastic and who should be reading. Just just watch your browser history explain it to his partner that Porno Kitch is a book blog. It's a book blog, it's not <laughs> anything else. Though it is, you know, progressive and interesting and intelligent, which is the criteria of the kitchies themselves. Okay. So the, there's different coloured tentacles they give you. Right. Of course they do. Uh, the black tentacle is given to uh, someone who's done the most for the community in their, their judgment. This time it was uh, Sarah McIntyre, who's responsible for Jampires. Jampires. Jampires <laughs> uh, is a story about um, creatures that suck the jam out of donuts. Uh, that sounds so cool. She's a great children's author. Uh, we met her at Nine Worlds last year. Absolutely cracking. We should try and get her on the show if we can do get Do these Jampires then leave the offending donut lying around? Of course they do. There's, there's one at my office. Fiends, they really are. Uh, damn those jampires. Other, other uh, awards. Uh, the Golden Tentacle for debut work went to Hermione Air for Viper Wine. Viper Wine has been described, let's see if I can get this right, uh, as a. Is it 14th century? Yeah, it's been described as a kind of 14th century um, version of the Joy Division story. Okay. It's this, this this weird kind of skewed history kind of rock and roll adventure story, but obviously set in a different period. Andrew Andrew Smith won the Red Tentacle Award for his young adult novel, The Grasshopper Jungle. Uh, Grasshopper Jungle. Uh, you might have heard that Edgar Wright wants to turn that into a movie. Yes, I have heard of that. I don't know much more about it. Than it's about two kids surviving the apocalypse. Uh, the Inky Tentacle Award for cover art. <laughs> the Inky. T- <laughs> 
Well, these are makes sense. Yeah, yeah. We went to uh, Glen O'Neill for the book Tiger Man. If you've seen Tiger Man, it's this great stripy cover. It looks absolutely cracking. And finally, the Invisible Tentacle Award, which is sponsored by... Uh, the entire thing is sponsored by Fallen London. Uh, There's a company mm-hmm. called Feel Better Games who do the whole sponsorship. Yeah. They introduced... Um, this particular award, when they when they came on board, mm. the Visible Technical Award is for medium that is natively digital. Right. So if if it's online or if it's an app, this sort of thing, then it can get an invisible tentacle. An invisible tentacle, and it went to a thing called Kentucky Route Zero Act Three, which is produced by Cardboard Computer. Um, so yeah. What's that? Do we know anything about what that is? Um, it I, I looked at it online and it looked appropriately surreal. Very much kind of an art indie narrative story. S- sure, okay. Um, so it's oh, an interactive type story? Or? Yeah, it's an interactively style story. Okay. It, uh, other things that were up, up for that award was Jeff Noon's online storytelling Twitter adventure experiment thing. Yes, yeah. Um, that was always up, also up for it. I was surprised that Vivian Blurb wasn't, but in other news, Boo Books, we like Boo Books, and Boo Books have announced their submissions window for novels, novellas, and short story collections, reviewed the publishing late 2015 and early 2016. Uh, Boo Books so far have mostly done horror, they're a small Derby based mm. outfit. It's interesting, actually, Boo Boo Books, because it's the same people who do this are also involved in Edgelet, which is that that kind of very niche, but also kind of very full-on event in Derby. Mm. So, fingers crossed, it'll be quite good. looks quite good. Check them them out on their website. In other news, the SFWA are now offering membership to self-published and small press authors, which we discussed before in the past. And finally, um, Sarah Beth, Durst's fantasy trilogy, The Queens of Renifer, have been signed at Harper Voyager. It's set in a world where everything has a spirit, everything natural has a spirit, and all those spirits are homicidal. Hurrah! Now, the first book, Queen of Blood, is set for autumn 2016. Um, she's written plenty of stuff in the past, including the vampire horror no- novel Drink, Slay, Love. Um, and I think that's it for the news. Obviously, if you have anything else that you want to contribute or if you have stuff that you want to talk to us about, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We are Radio Bookworm. So our Tumblr name is Radio Bookworm. Our Facebook is slash Radio Bookworm. Our Twitter is at Radio Bookworm. Quite happy for you, for you to tweet us live if you so wish. You can also find us on our Tumblr. And our Tumblr has links to our Mixcloud and our iTunes links as well. We're also on the Starburst Magazine website. So I felt it would be appropriate to review a Star Trek novella um, because everyone's talking about Star Trek at the moment, partially because Leonard Nimoy passed away recently uh, and you know, partially because we've been reminded about how awesome Star Trek is. Yeah. So definitely. with uh, a small amount of excitement, I thought, excellent, I've got this Star Trek novella, I've been meaning to read, read it for review for some time. I sat down, got on with it, and um, dove into Star Trek Shadow of the Machine, uh, an e-novella by Scott Harrison. Um, so you can download it onto your Kindle or other e-reader, because other e-readers, of course, are available. 
So, distributed by Simon & Schuster, of course. An all-new original e-novella set original series universe taking place immediately after the events of 1979 film Star Trek The Motion Picture. If you've seen Star Trek The Motion Picture, you might remember that it's quite slow. The last half hour, it gets terribly exciting. I would say that the original motion picture had enough plot for a normal Star Trek episode. Yep, and the rest of it is faffing around. So, um, this particular story is a novella with additional faffing around after. It, it, it's it's well written. It's finely put together. Um, Scott Harrison gets the characters perfectly spot on. Everything about it is completely, you know, he, he understands Spock, he understands Spock's motivations, he understands Kirk, Kirk's family, there's references to his family troubles, there's some nice preluding to, to Wrath of Khan. It's cleverly done. There's, there's a little bit of an appearance of Bones. We get Extra plot about Sulu, and Sulu has a baby on the way. There's a whole thing about his family and what's happening in his particular direction in life. Hmm. Unfortunately, it goes nowhere and does nothing. Just like those pipes in Star Trek. Yeah, there's yeah. pipes that say, goes nowhere, does nothing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a Jeffrey's tube to nowhere. This entire e-novella goes nowhere, does nothing. It's thoroughly entertaining, don't get me wrong. We, we learn more about Kirk on the farm and you know things that are going on in his life. We, we learn more about Spock coming to terms with his Vulcan heritage and some of the failures in his life. The entire crew discuss what happened to their friends who've you know joined joined Voyager. Spoilers mm. for a movie that came out in 1979. Fairly heavy stuff happened towards the end of that movie. And they're missing people. You know, people die in that, that mm. picture. So, you know, they're still coming to terms with the, the consequences. The thing is, is that I'd love to be I'd love to be able to say, halfway through while Kirk is on the farm, Klingons invade. No. I mean, I quite like books which are homely and you know, about people's families and things like that. I mean, I've just finished reading uh, Fool's Assassin, stuff like that. It's, not a lot happens there either, but it's good. So why why is this a problem with Star Trek? I think it's because I'm expecting there to be something else, and there isn't. It's, it's not Star Trek, is it? It feels like a completely 100% spot-on Star Trek story, okay. but it's all B-plot. The entire thing is B-plot. There is no... Mm. Th- there's no MacGuffin there. There's no... Th- the spaceship isn't in dock. They're all on Earth. The Except for except for Spock, who goes off on a space adventure, but he goes on a space adventure to dot some eyes and cross some T's. Right. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't go on an exciting space adventure where he encounters stuff. It's he's got some admin to do. He's got some admin to do. <laughs> I mean, I am, I'm being a little bit mean. There is some excitement. Some stuff does happen. There are some fights. There are, but it, it all feels very. It feels very Jupiter Moon. It feels very. Uh, there's an obscure reference for you. I Jupiter don't Moon, know what you're talking about. Jupiter Moon was a space soap opera. Right. Um, in the eighties, I believe, maybe the nineties. Uh, it wasn't very good. But it was a lovely idea. This kind of this this kind of EastEnders in space, and that's kind of what it feels like. It can, it's like Star Trek: The Coronation Street Edition, but mm. they they kind of. On the one hand, if you're a fan of Star Trek and you're a fan of the characters, you will appreciate these small, tiny, beautifully lo- lovingly crafted pieces that are about the characters' journey and how they recover from the events following um, the first movie. You'll love the foreshadowing of Wrath of Khan. You'll love all these kind of little clever set pieces that slot into each other in a very nice way. It just doesn't go anywhere. If you're expecting excitement and adventure, no. If you're expecting 
a well put together Star Trek story that is all B plot, no A plot, then it's brilliant. I mean, mm. you know, if you want to learn more about Kirk's family life, fantastic. It's a great novella. It is a novella as well, so it is blessedly short. But it just <laughs> it just feels like there's another half of the book here. Mm. It, I mean, the thing is, it, it's setting up and filling in gaps and making things relevant for something that we've already seen rather than something that's to come. It, yes, it's it's like a piece of foreshadowing. It, it almost feels like a DVD extra for the Wrath of Khan. Right. It's like, you know, what happened What happened between this period of time and that period of time? And on the one hand, okay, you could argue that trying to squeeze in some sort of Klingon conspiracy or some such nonsense would, would be the, yeah. to the de- detriment of the story because this is all about people. But it's just... Dull is not the right word. Uninteresting is not not the right word either because it is interesting and it's not boring because the characters are really 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 cool. It's just not quite what one would expect when you see Star Trek Shadow of the Machine. Star Trek Shadow of the Machine to me, yeah, sounds like it's going to be you know maybe maybe the echoes of Voyager are still in their mind. Maybe there's a whole yeah. load of you know there's a whole concept there that just isn't exploited. Yeah. But how much of that is because that's what he's been told to write? Um, I have no idea. Mm, because I imagine with tie-in novels, there's a certain element of, in this book, the following things need to happen. Because of books 2, 3, 7 and 9 that are coming out later. He does very well with very little, mm. in fairness. And if if you were trying to pitch you know, permission to write more stories about the Star Trek characters, then he gets them completely spot on. And to be honest, I'd love to see him write a solo Spock story with a young Spock doing Spock things, mm. providing that Spock also gets to, you know, shoot some aliens and, mm. you, you, you know, fight some fools. That'd be cool as well. <laughs> it just, it, it, it's all talk, it's no action. Mm. As lovely as the talk is, it just lacks that little, you know, for me, for Star Trek, uh, I'm as much of a fan of the moralising and the talking, but I also like seeing spaceships shooting other spaceships. Yeah. You know, I, I need a little bit of punch, I need fireworks. Um, and it's you know, it's a fireworks party with no fireworks, so there's plenty of wine, there's plenty of company, and there's plenty of conversation, but no actual explosions. You know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of action, but not much. There's a little bit of drama, there's a little bit of can I get to the hospital in time, that sort of thing going on. But the tension is just not... The, the other problem, of course, with the Star Trek characters is that you know that no one might actually going to die. Well, yeah, because you know, you know what's coming. Yeah. You know what's coming. So... There we go. But as stories go, if you're a Trek fan, absolutely. Um, otherwise, otherwise, you're just going to find yourself slightly disappointed. There are other Trek novels out there. There's some, there's some great acknowledgements at the back as well. If you're really into your Kirk, your McCoy, and the relationships, and you want just a little bit of drama, a little bit of angst, Star Trek: Shadow of the Machine, Scott Harrison, available on Pocket Starbooks. the world 24 hours a day this is family international so we were lucky enough to talk to debut author lucy handsome um, and she's got a book out coming out called starborn so this is our chat with lucy embrace the alternative 
is Fabrian International. Lucy Hounsom, welcome to the bookworm. Oh, thank you for having me. And what can you tell us about Starborn? Yes, well, uh, Starborn is a pretty traditional coming-of-age story. Um, when I wrote it, I really wanted to get back to the roots of fantasy in all the amazing uh, books that inspired me when I was a teenager, you know, like the, the Wheel of Time, the the early ones <laughs> rather than the late ones um things like shannara and the sword of truth and harry potter was always a really big influence so um i've not i feel like i've not tried to do anything uh, very uh, kind of new and groundbreaking i've just wanted it to be a kind of ode to all of the books that kept me kind of company while i was you know going through uh, my, my teenage years um it's the the protagonist is um, a 17 year old girl called kindra who uh, discovers that she, and actually indeed the world as she knows it, is probably not all that it appears to be. Um, She has a pretty disastrous uh, coming-of-age ceremony as she starts off in her hometown, and she finds herself fleeing across the world in the company of two mysterious strangers. You've got to work those mysterious strangers in there somewhere. Um, And it's basically a, a fantasy adventure book um that kind of has uh kind of culminates in a, a, a big finale and opens out onto um book two uh, it's a trilogy all in all what should we expect from the sequel um well i've uh, i've almost finished book two um i can't say too much about it because uh, it's a massive massive spoiler as to what happens at the end of book one um but it's uh, a bit more epic fantasy uh, i'd say starborn um is probably a bit more of a heroic fantasy it focuses um it's, it's quite character driven um and it's uh the, the the economy and the the kind of greater political uh, world is not so much uh, it's not playing such an important role in the first book but the second book that's where I begin to really open out the story uh, and begin to kind of talk about lots of different factions um, kind of much more kind of uh, epic in scale. What was the journey that brought you to becoming an author? Uh, well I, I've always really wanted to be a writer especially a fantasy writer. I went to theatre school um, for six years so I was going to be an actress and and I uh, decided to, as any normal teenager uh, would do, to write a book when I was about 15. And I did finish it. It's about 126,000 words, uh, but it's terribly like Harry Potter <laughs> and Lord of the Rings. And it has dwarves and elves and dark lords. So it's not something that I would like to uh, show the world. But it did uh, It did make me fall in love with the idea of becoming a writer. So I, I went to university and uh, did all sorts of uh, creative writing courses and... Um, and finally, uh, it led to me writing Starborn uh, about four years ago now. Um, and I polished it a lot uh, in my own time and uh, started sending it out to agencies, uh, probably a little bit too early, judging from some of the feedback I've received. Um, but I worked on it a bit more and uh, improved, you know, covering letters and all of that. And it finally um, found a, an agent in uh, August 2013. Um, and it, it got picked up by Tor uh, fairly swiftly within about two months. So I worked on it for another month with my agent. Uh, but I, I was so, honestly, I, it still feels a bit like a dream come true because it's something I've been working towards for, you know, the last 10 years. Uh, it's really all I've ever wanted to do is just to is, uh, well, be, be paid to tell stories. But even if I wasn't paid, I'd probably still find myself telling stories. If you could write like anyone else, who would you want to be able to write like? 
Um, well, I've always uh, admired J.K. Rowling for the fact that she can... There's something about Harry Potter that um, is universal. I mean, it, it kind of transcends, you know, nationalities, uh, ages, genders. It's just a kind of wonderful story that seems to tap into, you know, things that, you know, fun, the fundamental aspects of humanity. And I, I mean, I, I love coming of age stories. And I mean, Harry Potter is the ultimate coming of age story, um, you know, and he's, he's obviously a hero and he exhibits a lot of, you know, Campbellian uh, traits of, uh, of, you know, the archetypal hero. Uh, but the way she draws uh, the reader in, it effort. It's just the, it's just ma absolutely magnificent, and I, I mean, I've tried to, um, you know, to be, uh, to make my book, you know, as pacey as possible. I don't want people to get bored, um, but I've always had a bit of a, yeah, I've always had a, a little bit of a kind of inclination to over describe, and I think that's what uh, Rowling does really well. That she she just has just enough description and world building to kind of draw you in and make you, you know, really interested in the world without having too much of what I would say is, you know, some epic fantasies can be very, very heavy on the world building. And it's, you know, I think authors like to show people just how much they've researched, uh, you know, the, the politics and, and the history and the religions of their uh, fantasy. So I, I admire, you know, writers who are able to kind of step back from that and who focus very much on just telling a really good story. Um, so obviously, world building is very important in fantasy, and obviously, I've done a lot of it myself. But I've, I've uh, Rowling is is one of my kind of idols. I just think she's has a marvelous balance. Who are you currently reading? Uh, Jen Williams, who writes the Copper Promise, who is one of my new favorite authors, and I actually love the way that she actually um, creates worlds kind of seemingly effortlessly uh, without bogging you down in enormous amounts of detail. Uh, it's, it's really character-driven fantasy that I like the most. Jen Williams has the Iron Ghost out now, doesn't she? I love the Iron Ghost, yeah. Just just finished that a couple of weeks ago. Why is fantasy so popular again? Well, I I think, obviously, uh, the Lord of the Rings, the, the trilogy, um, that I think that kind of began sparking it off. But, but the thing that's um, really exploded fantasy into the mainstream is probably Game of Thrones. Uh, I mean, there are so many people who probably never picked up a fantasy book in their life who tuned in to watch Game of Thrones. And uh, and it's done a marvellous thing for uh, for the fantasy genre in general. And I feel like it's just such a great time to be an up-and-coming fantasy writer because the, the, the audience is so much is, is so much larger. And I think it's very archetypal. Uh, it's very, you know, it's, it, it's a great kind of um, platform to explore very large concepts, you know, and it, even from, you know, coming of age, you know, growing up from childhood to adulthood, but also concepts of heroism. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's something I've wanted to do in my book as well. But I think uh, George R. R. Martin has done such great things for the, sh for the, for the fantasy genre. I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Imagine you're stuck on a desert island. Let's assume you have everything you need to survive. What one book do you have for company? Okay, probably. Um, this is a tiny, tiny bit of a cheat because, but I, I've actually, it's a trilogy, but I've actually got it in one volume. So that, that's my uh, get around here. It's um, The Riddle Master's Game by Patricia McKillop. Um, she is, she's an American author who doesn't, I don't think she has enough uh, attention over here. I mean, I, I, when I was reading her books, I'd have to order them from Amazon US because you just couldn't buy them in the shops. The, the Riddle Master's Game is the only one that you can buy. It's actually um, a, a fantasy masterwork uh, published by Galansk. 
uh, and it's just the she manages to write epic fantasy without any of that kind of grimdark tendencies that creep in you know lot i mean there's there's war yes and there's conflict yes but she kind of somehow manages to avoid graphic violence at the same time as making it an incredibly exciting read and i i've never come across any other author who can who can do that who can hold your attention uh without uh kind of killing and bloodshed it sounds terrible but that <laughs> grimdark itself is is uh, obviously a kind of subgenre of fantasy and it's it's the way that a lot of authors and myself included she is the number one author that i recommend simpsons or futurama simpsons definitely slytherin or gryffindor probably slytherin because you know everyone loves an ambitious person you know truth or beauty truth truth is enduring and universal and marvelous lucy houndson thank you for coming on the bookworm thank you very much this is fab radio international I'm going to be talking a little bit about the first three Space Captain Smith books. Um, There are five Space Captain Smith books now. Uh, I've not read the last two, I'll be honest with you. Um, Space Captain Smith by Toby Frost, uh, first published in 2008. The sequel, The God Emperor of Didcot, also published in 2008. Yes, indeed. And the second sequel, Wrath of the Lemming Men. (laughs) Uh, came out in 2009 yeah you do and I think you'd probably enjoy them Um, in case you hadn't got the vibe yet they're comedies Um, spoofs in fact spoofs of uh, mostly of the sci-fi genre a bit of the fantasy genre thrown in there as well and whatever else the author feels like spoofing Um, so one of the challenges that a reviewer might face is how to share the content of the book uh, and some idea of the plot without giving spoilers. And to, to be honest with you, if you're reading Space Captain Smith for the plot, you've, you've got the wrong idea. Um, it, <laughs> there is a plot, and it, it does tie the jokes together very neatly, but that is its broad function. Um, it's, it's steampunky, but only in its obsession with moustaches, the stiff upper lips that support moustaches, and the slurping tea which is filtered through the moustaches. Space Captain Smith has a large moustache and a square jaw. The the cover art is lovely, um, uh, and he's there in his red coat um, uh, with his rifle and his hand on his hip and his moustache looking resplendent. it's set in the 25th century. There is a thing called the British Space Empire, um, which is vast and glorious, and largely powered by um, good, strong moral fibre provided through tea. There are giant intergalactic tea farms, which keeps the empire going. Jolly good. It so- sounds sounds like the the right sort of thing. I mean, tea tea power, are the spaceships themselves tea powered, or is it? Uh, no, no, uh, it's 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 just the imbibing of tea. Um, there is the, the, there is a Dune spoof in there. There is kind of a sort of um, sort of navigator type guy who's basically just like lives in a his life is preserved because he lives in this like teapot. 
essentially, and you know, the tea must flow, and that's what that's what's going to happen. He, um, who, he who controls the tea controls the the world, which is essentially what the sequel, God Emperor of Didcot, is about. <laughs> um, God em- yeah, in, in the sequel, God Emperor of Didcot. Um, that there is a, a crazy man who proclaims himself God Emperor of Didcot, which is the uh, a tea growing planet, which sources like the whole of the British Empire with tea, and therefore the tea supply is going to dry up. That's why our heroes are dispatched to stop him. <laughs> so, is each box so each box is each book a recognisable parody of a well-known work, or is the entire thing just parody? Um, the, the, the I would say there are parody themes which run through. So, for example, God Emperor of Didcot, the team must flow. You've got June in there as well. Um, you'll see on the front cover of God Emperor of Didcot what looks like cross between a Space Marine and a Cyberman. Uh, there are sort of Space Marine type characters in there. Um, the God Emperor's men. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, the parody games workshop there, uh, very nicely. Um, funnily enough, you know, without giving away too much away, uh, they just blow down. Just the good guys just throw down like an EMP, which drops all the technology. <laughs> Why does nobody do that? Why don't the space marines just go and just ground to a halt inside the powered armor? Just before anyone tweets in, yes, we are well aware that the old, the term space marine predates Games Workshop. Moving on. Yeah, moving on, moving on. This book doesn't deal with those kinds of serious matters. It does parody an awful lot of science fiction. Um, Space Captain Smith is uh, an emotionally constipated, preternaturally tough individual who is given all the dirty jobs to do. Um, His best friend is um, a po-faced alien called Suruk the Slayer, who is described in his description, he is very clearly the Predator from the Predator movies. Oh, excellent. Um, but um, he's sort of friendly, at least to, to Space Captain Smith. Um, and he talks, and he basically does the, the po-faced alien joke that's in all science fiction. So he's he's Worf from Star Trek. He's also Teal'c from Stargate. Um, he does that. I will read you a very short sample, which will just... This was the sample that, that my dad read to me after he'd been on holiday and got me to read it. Hail, Eisenbard Smith, who is called Majoran in the speech of the Malak. I give you greeting too. There was a little pause. Smith smiled awkwardly. So, he ventured. It's been a while. Indeed. Moons have passed since last we met. Battles fought and enemies fallen. At the bridge of Anrag, I took fifteen heads. I overthrew the tyrant Dagrud Warside and took his cattle as tribute to my skill. It was a glorious day. Sounds pretty wild. I'm having a new patio put down. You and me both, eh? Square slabs or crazy paving? Square slabs. The choice of a warrior. And and that's pretty much how the book rolls. Other main character is Polly Carveth, who is the pilot. Uh, she's also uh, well, she's she's an android actually. She's an artificial person in a kind of replicant way. It does Blade Runner too. Um, she's actually um, uh, a sex robot that's broken her programming. Again, another another parody there. Yeah, yeah, but she's not the sex robot like you expect. She's actually um, she's basically uh, sort of. A lady of short stature with a big bum, pretty in a sort of ordinary way, but with a filthy laugh and a dirty mind. Excellent. Um, and 
uh, yeah, she's she's she, she's quite fun, and she she breaks her program. She 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 she's involved in the internal struggle to get away from the guy who commissioned her because if she sees him, she'll fall instantly in love with him. Um, and uh, there is there is a, a Deckard type replicant going round that she falls in love with, and they have an on-off romance, um, which is quite good. And the last main character is uh, a hippie called Rihanna Mitchell, um, who may have may or may not be uh, half uh, god, alien, space, energy thing. Um, thus. T- her hippie things which uh, the main character has a sort of romantic thing with her but, but because she's a hippie and therefore opposed to everything that he represents as an emotionally constipated British Empire guy um, that that causes some comedy too. Does she do the the old Diana Troy and turn around and go I sense they're angry, yes they're shooting at Yeah, yeah that, that joke is in there, yeah yeah. she's like yeah well, well done, you don't really need to be empathic to get this kind of stuff going on Um She's largely, you know, basically she's useless and a burden until the half-god alien thing inside her comes out and does things. Um, but she, it, the whole, the whole, there's a lot of comedy dialogue between everybody in it. Um, everybody has sort of love-hate relationships with everyone else. Um, there's a lot of good action sequences in it. Um, I will read you the list of Mickey takes which I made uh, yesterday. Uh, from the first book, War of the Worlds, um, they're, they're, the Martians in it are sort of blob-like aliens that go around in giant walkers and uh, are eternally frightened of getting a cold. Um, yeah, yeah, they're like compulsive hand washes, well, tentacle washes and stuff. Um, <laughs> Predator, obviously, Sarook the Slayer's there. Uh, the Matrix... Uh, they 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 find a pretentious cyberpunk planet uh, and try and enlist the help there and are sort of encounter pretentious cyberpunk people. Um, Deliverance. Uh, they go to Hick Backwater World Two. Warhammer Forty K. Uh, James Bond. There's a Casino Royale bit. Um, Firefly. And the other things that we've we've already talked about. This touches on as much as it can. It's an excuse for uh, some in-jokes and some funny dialogue chained together with uh, an adventure story and fight scenes. And it's a lot of fun. It's not going to change your life. Uh, If you liked um, the Red... If you liked the TV show rather than the books Red Dwarf, it's got shades of that, shades of Douglas Adams... Uh, in its kind of irreverence towards sci-fi tropes. Um, I was getting just from what you've been saying, a little air of Robert Rankin. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I haven't read a lot of Rankin, but there there is that there. Um, it's it's fun, and it will keep you going. I do intend to read the next two books, um, but I have no doubt that they will progress in any way they'll just carry on being what they are which is fine excellent so who's it by what's it on where can we get it um space captain smith you can buy as hard copy and i believe digitally it is in a large number of good bookshops who published it i can't see here i did have it uh Myrmidon books uh it's by toby frost we we have already social media about this so if you look on our Facebook page or indeed on our Tumblr or indeed on Twitter 
you will eventually find your way to being able to buy the books or Indeed. just uh, put Space Captain Smith in and the, yeah, the internet will take you to you'll, online you'll find retailers. It. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's International Women's Day, and the show has mostly been about space, partially because we wanted to do a little something for uh, Leonard Nimoy, who passed away last week. Yeah. Um, and partially partially because we've read those books, and we think they're really cool. Um, but we also wanted to talk about International Women's Day, because... Women. Women. Uh, you international women. International women. Actually, yes. Is it, is it a day for women who are international, or is it just an international day for women? The latter. The latter, probably, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, uh, one of the things we do try and do on the show is we do do our best to try and uh, gender balance everything and make sure that we have like a balanced view of the show. We don't always succeed. We do try to try and get things balanced. Uh, it's just sometimes it's easier in one direction or another direction. So we, you know, there's there, there's certain certain genres that we find it easier to book female authors, and sometimes we find it easier to book male authors, and it drives me nuts sometimes. It really does. Which genres would you so you can young adult, more easily find female authors? Young adult, young adult fantasy, right? Very much so. Um, just just more willing to talk mm-hmm. and more willing to come on the show um, whereas your know, sci-fi it's 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 you know every time I get a female sci-fi author I'm just like yes and it's not because I'm taking any off any any boxes I just want a more diverse range of voices on the show and that one of the ways to do that is to look at the people who look at what they look at the people themselves and then look at what they're creating Mm. Um, because if you do it the other way around, you just end up bogged down in absolute piles of stuff from one direction or another. Okay. I mean, do you think that that, particularly with, with the sci-fi thing, that that's reflecting of a reflective of a, of a cultural stereotype? Really, that sci-fi is a bit of a boys I think, club. I think it's just more that because of the way society's set up. More men have more time to, you know, either go into semi-retirement or have more money saved so they can mm. spend more time writing. I don't think it's got anything to do with, you know, gender stereotyping and everything to do with the fact that, you know, being being a white bloke is easier than mm. any practically everything else. I mean, life is hard for everyone. It's just, you know, guys have it a bit easier. Therefore, they have a bit more spare time. Therefore, they have more time to produce stuff. Yeah, that, that's that. That's what, it, as far as I can tell, and feel free to to social media me. We're at Radio Bookworm on Twitter. If you want to yell at me and say no, Ed, you're wrong. Please, please explain to me why I am. Because actually, we, you know, we do embrace that sort of thing. We wanted to learn more and yeah. understand more. Otherwise, we wouldn't read books. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, on the other hand, we don't want to get into the not all men argument. Uh, oh, is that what it is? Oh, right, I thought it was no tall men, and I was like six uh. foot, and I'm like, oh, okay. 
Sorry, I couldn't resist. <coughs> I'm being stared at by producer Al now. To be mm. fair, I handed you that one on a plate and offered you, you sauce. You, you are very fortunate that producer Al has a hacking cough of death this week and can't particularly talk that much. Is this why you're not yelling at me? Yes. Oh dear. Um, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm considering lumping you with the Nickelodeon phone. Oh, it is a use for the Nickelodeon phone. <laughs> uh, we have a, a special glowing green hotline phone. Um, and you can call us on the hotline phone. Please don't. But please don't. Uh, but you can tweet us via, via Bookworm instead. Uh, um, Lucy, in her interview, mentioned Jen Williams, whose second book is out now. It's out now. It came, mm. out, it came out last week. We liked week. that, didn't we? We absolutely adored it. It was absolutely fantastic. It's, um, do you know what? It's, in, it, it, it's International Women's Day. Here's, a, here's an excuse to talk about some great books that are coming out that just happen to be written by women. Have we mentioned Claire North at any point? Uh, we haven't. We should. Mm. I'm, I'm reading an article that was in The Independence yesterday in advance of International Women's Day and that talks about various uh, sci-fi and fantasy authors who all happen to be of the female persuasion and Claire's oh. stuff looks really good. I've been, I've been panning through um, Starborn by, by Lucy Hampton. That's really good. Um, Sarah Lotz has her paperback version of The Free is out now. Um, Day 4, which I have read and I will review for you sometime closer to publication, um, is absolutely fantastic. Sarah Lotz does horror. She does horror really well. She is uh, another Stephen King, I would say. She, you know, give, mm. give her some time, give her a, a, a bigger word count, and people will quite happily be comparing her to to, to Stephen King. The three chilled the pants off me. <laughs> Day four is starting to chill the pants off me. Um, it goes very wrong very quickly in all the right sort of ways. Mm. Enjoying that immensely. Um, we don't talk about Sarah Pinborough enough on the show. Um, Sarah Pinborough's uh, got The Death House out, which we reviewed and we adored. Um, if you've not read Jen Williams's Copper Promise, what are you doing? Finish listening to the show, just get to the end of the show, then get your hands on a copy of The Copper Promise. Then we dine Ghost, which is coming out soon. Um, this is it. This is the other thing, of course. I think I think many authors, when you talk about, because I, you know, I almost made the mistake of going straight into Robin Hobb. Of course, you know who Robin Hobb is. We talk about Robin Hobb all the mm. time on the show. Of course, you know who Ursula Le Guin is. We talk about Ursula Le Guin all the time on the show. They are just, you know, they are some fantastic writers out there. Uh, absolutely, mm. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my my point about you know when people say, well, you know, why aren't they more female authors? I think it's a, I think it's a society thing. I, I think it's got absolutely it's got absolutely nothing to do with talent. I think it's got you know it's got something to do with culture, but I also think it's because you know more blokes have more money and more free time. Yeah. More than anything else, and writing's really hard, and getting published is really hard. Yeah. But certainly, when it comes to the gatekeepers, every gate certainly in genre, every gatekeeper that I have ever met, they they, they don't care who you are. They just want good books. Mm. But mm. if they get the chance, you know, if, if if they absolutely have one slot left, and it's yet another bald white bloke, and you know, mm. a woman, and everything else is equal, everything else is equal, everything else is equal, then they'll, they'll favour the lady because they want more balance. Do you think? Do you think the fans might, might there might be a sexist balance among the fans? I really hope not. I um, I really hope not too. I've I've encountered it. I I had a very rather unpleasant conversation a few weeks ago where someone told me that all whenever he reads a female author all their characters are passive aggressive. What? 
Okay, that, that, uh, I just, they, they yeah, need I, to read more. <laughs> is, is this the thing where I go at the point of J.K. Rowling is J.K. Rowling because they, she was told that books with the name Duran on it wouldn't sell, and Robin Hood is Robin Hood because it's a pseudonym because it sounds more male. Yes, yeah. because sexist idiots exist. They do exist. Yeah, it's, it's that vast irony. I mean, we've been reviewing two science fiction books which are about progressive mm. futures, and okay, the Space Captain Smith stuff is British Empire, but it pastiches those values it really does yeah. Um, Star, yeah. Star Trek is a world where you know we, we've got an egalitarian society we've sorted out mm. all of those the, the, the gender balances yeah, you, know, it, you can have mm. female admirals captains and they're just as you, know. you mean going back in, in time the Bronte sisters wrote under male pseudonyms initially um, and George Eliot is really Mary Ann Evans well, the first a lot of people somehow still don't know. The first science fiction novel is Frankenstein. Yes, it's Mary Shelley. Mm. Yeah, if you if you're gonna start being weird about gender, oh, just read more, get out more. Damn straight. So sort yourself out. What on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing? Enjoying books and using this brilliant power to open your mind, and yet closing yourself off to half the world. I I genuinely don't understand it. And you know, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm breathlessly naive. I probably am. I am about a lot of things, but I just, I, 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 it seems like far too much aggression and effort for me. Yeah. To, to be honest, and you, you just miss out on, on so many different pieces. There's one of the things. Yeah, that I, Frankenstein first edition published anonymously. Really, really. Blimey, Craig yeah. O'Reilly. Her name doesn't appear until the second edition, which was published five years later. See, one of the things that really heartens me about um, the Games Workshop fan community, the Warhammer 40k books, um, which is a community I'm familiar with, which is why I keep bringing it up quite often, one of the things that fascinates me about them is I get very frustrated because they tend military sci-fi fans tend to swing to the right when it comes to politics. Yeah. And they, they tend to be, uh, you know, they, they tend to be not narrow-minded, but certainly narrow in focus. And there aren't enough female writers in the Black Library, but the ones they do have are just well-loved and mostly well-looked after. Mm. You know, anyone who's being an idiot about these things very quickly gets told to shut up and stop, you know, and stop being a bully. And, you know, then the author is is appropriately entreated to please write more. Yeah. Um, I I get very frustrated, actually, about... uh, Sarah Cockwell's output is absolutely fantastic. I don't understand why there isn't more of it. Mm. I, I, if, if someone, if someone from, if someone who knows more than I do about this subject would like to tell me, I would love to know because I generally am confused as to, to why we, you know, why they, uh, it's Juliet McKenna, um, Nick Vincent, and Sarah Cockwell are the only three female authors from an entire range of books, mm. of which there are hundreds of books out there. They've got three writers, three female writers. I'm just like. Come on, there's got to be more voices than that, and all those three writers are they, they, they do encourage their gamers, though, don't they? How many that there is a huge, you know, a massive lack of. I mean, that there are great female gamers and painters and all that. You know, some of them are friends of mine, but generally speaking, a day at Games Workshop is a day in a sausage factory. It, it, is it the fact that we we need to spend more time focusing on the culture? I, I think there's been a strange thing we're all in our mid to late 30s and I think when we were growing up there wasn't the division between boy toys and girl toys and boy fiction and girl fiction that there is now 
do you think yeah i think i think it's it's worse now i, I remember being a young male sci-fi and fantasy fan and turning up to those sort of conventions and it being as you put it a sausage party and then bless you josh whedon buffy the vampire snake yeah. came out yeah. and there were girls at my horror convention oh my goodness and they were into horror and some of them were golfs oh my goodness thank you Josh Reardon thank you also Mark Ryan Haugen for, for Vampire and all of that stuff but you know and it, it and it's just because you know again Buffy's not original or special it's just got a strong female voice and therefore appeals to a broader audience which is what you want because it's for everyone Across the world, the real alternative, FabRadioInternational.com. I've been your host, Ed Fortune. I've been your co-host, Cy Lloyd. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Cy Lloyd. Produced by A. L. Johnson. Yeah.